Thank you. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that you have not left us orphans, but you send your Holy Spirit and you have written an account of the story of creation and told us what's coming in the future so that we can have courage in these dark times. So we invite your presence now, Lord. We invite your Holy Spirit to be with us as we dwell on your word. We pray that you transform us by the renewing of our minds. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So many years ago, not many, but a few years ago, I was at the Kentucky River Gorge in Lexington, Kentucky. So I went down and I was going down to the river and I walked from my house to where the river was. And as I got to the parking lot, before you go down the hill, there was a lot of commotion. There was a fire truck and I'd never seen a fire truck before there. The parking lot was packed. I'd never seen it packed before. There was people in coming in and out to look like some frantic thing went on. And I thought to myself, oh no, there was a ropes course around there. I thought maybe someone got hurt at the ropes course. So I walked by and I talked to the fireman and I said, hey, you know, what's going on? I'm just curious. He said, I said, did someone fall down? He said, no. And he just kind of kept walking, didn't really want to tell me. Well, I was still curious. So I saw this young lady and she was walking over to her Jeep. And I walked up to the young lady and I said, hey, um, you know, I just noticed there's a lot of stuff going on here. Could you tell me what is happening? And she looked at me kind of sheepishly a little bit. And she said, well, actually, it's because of me. And then she told me her story. She walked down into the gorge. And when you go down the gorge, there's two trails down. They both end up at the same spot, pretty much. And if you go to the left or to the right, you can't get out because it's just cliffs on one side and river on another side. Well, she went down to the bottom of the hill and she went down to the left. She followed the trail for a while. She kept going. She ended up getting too close to the water and she slid down in a little mud pit that was a kind of cup shaped. So, so slid right down to the edge of the water and she got stuck there. And in her own words, she was like a trapped caged animal. She tried to climb up out of the mud, but she would just slide back down to the river. And she was barely able to get enough cell phone service to make a phone call and get out of the trap that she was in. And I got there just after the rescue. So they went down, they got a boat, they picked her up on the side of the river and they brought her back out. And there she is telling me her story. And I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder why she kept going that direction. She got stuck. Maybe she needs a map. So I just asked her, trying to be helpful. You know, maybe she comes here often. I said, hey, did you know there's a map here? She said, no. I said, oh, would you like me to get you one? And she's like, sure. So I went and I got her a map right from the trailhead, brought it back to her, and hopefully it was a blessing to her. We can get in a lot of trouble in life if we don't have a good map. And I praise the Lord that he wrote a map of life, and that's his word. His word unmasks the spiritual warfare that we're unaware of if we don't read it. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, does God exist? Is he really there? Why am I here? All these things. Well, that accounts in the Bible. One day I prayed that prayer. Um, 
there's times when faith is stronger and times when faith is weaker. Well, I just had a prayer one day and I said, God, can you please tell me, can you please show me the spiritual warfare? What's going on? And I think he answered my prayer. One day I was, uh, this might have been a few days or a few weeks later, I was taking a walk with my little boys and we were at their grandmother's house and we walked down the hill behind her house and we walked over to a creek. And as we walked by a creek, I noticed a tree that was leaning over the creek and I noticed it was leaning a little bit farther than normal. And so, well, that's it's a dead tree. It's going to eventually lean and fall over. It's, you know, I didn't think of it much. And my kids were like, oh, we don't want to walk. We want to play in the creek. So I said, okay, you can play in the creek. So I kept walking. And as I was walking, I decided to go back, check on the kids. I walked back past that dead tree. And all of a sudden, I felt the earth shaking behind me, under my feet. Now, this was not an earthquake, not a big earthquake. It was a very tiny one, and it was happening right under my feet. What was happening were the roots for that tree that was leaning over the river started snapping. And that tree started falling right when I was walking by it. Now, the big problem for me was my kids were standing where the tree was going to fall. Now, at least one of them was. He heard the noise. He saw what was happening, the, the oldest, and he ran away. The second one, he was staring at me. Now, he was not in the path where the tree was going to fall. It was going to miss him. Not by a lot, but it was going to miss him. So I just stood staring at him said, hey, you're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And I'm watching this. It's like a front stage show to my kids about to be destroyed by a tree falling down. Now, the tree falls down and it misses my kids. Praise the Lord. Well, the tree fell down. It was a tall, dead ash tree. And it hit a walnut tree on the other side of the creek. And it knocked down a walnut branch about 20 feet long, thick and heavy. And that smashed down right behind them. So I had a tree in front of me, smashing down on the left. I had a tree falling behind my kids, and I'm here front row watching all this happen. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't know those invisible roots were going to snap. I didn't know that my kids were going to get in all that trouble. But that shows me that there are invisible forces out there that are they're, uh, they're after us. Um, the devil's real. He wants to get us. And the way we know that is we read the word. So you can't see me right now, but that didn't mean I didn't exist. The devil exists and he's out there to get us. And if we're going to unmask the devil in his ways, well, we have to go to the word. So let's do that. We're going to go to the book of Ephesians and we're going to study the armor of God, because if there truly is a devil out there and he's invisible and he's warring after us, wouldn't it be good to know exactly how he's trying to get us? And if we can guard ourselves, how do we strengthen and put on God's armor? So let's study that from the word and see where that comes from. Ephesians 6 is where we're going to go. And we're going to start in verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You might think that you're pretty strong. Well, there is nobody besides Jesus that resisted the devil. Everyone fell. Adam and Eve, perfect world, they fell. Samson, strongest man that ever existed, he fell. Solomon, the wisest man that ever existed, he fell. 
David, the greatest king there ever was, he fell. Really need to be humble. Um, all of Jesus' disciples, when he got struck, they all fled. And we can't think for a minute that we are strong enough to fight against the devil by ourselves. So let's go to verse 11. Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now the Bible is unmasking who our enemy is. Let's just study this for a moment. The devil goes about like a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5.8, seeking who he may devour. He is a powerful enemy. The angels are more in power and might than the people. And if you study, and remember, Satan was able to sweep one-third of the angels out of heaven, and he did that with his tail. If you study what a tail represents in Isaiah 9.15, a tail represents lies. The devil has tremendous power. If you go back to the book of Job for a moment, you'll remember when Satan was after Job, trying to destroy everything he had. What he did was he destroyed some of Job's belongings by fire. He made fire come down out of heaven. He also, he led some people groups to come raid Job's things. So he can control peoples. He can bring fire out of heaven. He can also control the weather because the wind came and blew, and that's what destroyed the house that Job's children were in. So we have a very, very powerful enemy, but I praise the Lord that our God is stronger. So let's find out where this armor comes from, because God is trying to equip us with strength through his word, and let's study that. This says in verse 12, again, we're in Ephesians 6, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. And if you ever are in a conflict with someone, speaking of communication earlier, you might think, well, that person's my enemy. They're trying to get me. They're trying to destroy me. Please remember, that person is also, if they're not behaving properly, under the captive sway of Satan, and they need you in your prayers just as much you, as you need other people's prayers. Remember, they are not really your enemy. There's someone behind the scenes pulling the strings. So keep that in mind. Next time you're in conflict, try to remember, no, someone else is feeding this fight. And treat them, the Bible says, love your enemies. Treat them a little bit nicer. So now here we come to the armor. Ephesians 6, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Now, why do you need the whole armor? Well, have you ever, hopefully not, have you ever tried to eat a porcupine? The way to eat a porcupine is to flip it over on its stomach. That's the soft spot. Well, the devil knows every soft spot in our lives. He knows every habit and every evil inclination that we have, and he will exploit those for his own good not for our own good. And let's also think carefully about having the done all part. Other versions say after you've finished the whole fight, because the devil doesn't just come at you once. He's going to come at you repeatedly. Have you ever been driving down the road and you see a deer cross the road? Well, someone once told me, they said, when you see a deer cross the road, don't speed up, slow down. Don't think that they're all gone. Why? Because deer travel in herds. Well, the devil often has temptations and hurts. And just because 
you get past one temptation does not mean that the temptation is over. So please keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Now, before we go further, I also want to remember, or I want to remind you this. If you feel like you're having a tough time spiritually, God has beautiful promises for you. In first, well, in James, the book of James, it says, Therefore hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, praise the Lord, that ye may be able to bear it, and submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a promise. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Praise the Lord. So how to resist? Where does this armor come from? Ephesians 6 verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Well, we have to ask the question, Pilate did, what is truth? Well, John 17, 17. We're going to get our answers from the Bible for this. John 17, verse 17 says this, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. There are a lot of messes out there about what truth is. So as I was studying, I went to Western Michigan University and I studied communication there. We read a lot of interesting literature. Now, this is not all, it's peer-reviewed literature, but it doesn't mean it was reviewed by God. And People often make up descriptions and they make up their own terminologies. So somebody studied polyamorous relationships. That's relationships that are romantic with more than one person. And you know how jealousy creeps in if you're in a relationship and you see something you don't like or there's some boundaries that are crossed and it can bring some strife inside. It can bring some feelings of uh, trouble or jealousy or something like that. Well, these researchers said, we're going to make up a new language or the people doing these relationships said, you're not going to feel jealous. You're just going to feel wobbly. Wobbly. <laughs> so they have a word out there now. It's called wobbly. If you're in a relationship with multiple romantic partners, that is not what the Bible says is what you should do. You have no standard of truth unless you're reading the Bible. How about which day is the Sabbath? Very soon, there's going to be a big crisis in the world, and there's going to be a call to worship on a day other than what the Bible says. It's going to be Sunday. We know that from studying the Bible. Well, which day is the Sabbath? The fourth commandment. And a lot of people are saying, well, maybe that was for the Jews. Well, read the fourth commandment very carefully. You'll find six or seven reasons why the seventh day is the Sabbath and why it is still important, why it's the most inclusive com uh, commandment there is. And it says it's the Sabbath of the Lord God. It's not the Sabbath of the Jews, not the Sabbath of the Christians. It's the Sabbath of God. It doesn't change. So you will be protected when you read the word. It's the only way to know it's truth. Do you know what is true to eat? Well, the Bible tells us. Did you know? Can you follow culture? In my studies and communication, I read a lot about mass media and I read a lot in the news. It used to be there's communication researchers that said the number one influence on American culture used to be religion. All right, churches, people go listen to their pastors. 
Hopefully the pastors are reading the Bible. Well, that changed when TV came out. They said TV is the new state religion. TV, according to uh, popular magazines, is the TV and uh, Hollywood and hip hop. They are the greatest cultural exporters in the world. And this is American media, American movies, American hip hop. They are setting the culture of the world. Now, let me, I probably don't need to tell you this, but maybe I do, because if you're not reading the word, you might not know that everything you see on Hollywood is not exactly how you're supposed to live or do. It's not everything you're supposed to wear or say or eat or pick for your friends. There's a lot of unfortunate things that can happen when you, uh, when you're led in the wrong way. And you will have more spiritual eyesight once you start filtering out your input through the Bible, particularly Philippians 4.8. It says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely. If there be any virtue, if there be any, um, if there is, if there be any virtue, if there be anything praiseworthy, and if there be anything of good report, meditate on these things. And once I started reading my Bible more, I came across that verse I started to ask myself, the movies I'm watching, do they really fit that? The things I'm reading, do they really fit that? And I decided to, no, they didn't really fit. And as I put those things away and I started reading the Bible more, I started to have stronger spiritual eyesight. And I hope you do too, once you start picking up the word more often. And it's going to save you a lot. So let's keep going. So the first one. Your loins girt with truth. Thy word is truth. So it's the Bible, okay? The next one, let's move on. It says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. What is right? What is to be righteous? According to Merriam-Webster, it's, it's acting in accord with divine or moral law. Well, what do we know? Where do we get that from? Isaiah 48, 18 says, Oh, that thou hast hearkened to my commandments. What's the result if we hearken to God's commandments? Then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. So God's commandments, his word, brings righteousness as the waves of the sea. And Matthew 7, 24. Whoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. You are protected when you read the word. You will have peace like a river. So many people are in chaos because they're stealing, they're hating, they're fighting, they're in jail because of murder, because they didn't have the commandments that Jesus Christ has in his word to make their lives peaceful. So we have truth comes from the Bible. Righteousness comes from the word. And before you think that you can just trust your own thoughts, what's right and wrong, I want to let you know that a long time ago, I started going through the Bible and I started cataloging, okay, cataloging, making a list of all the verses where someone thought something that wasn't in accordance with the Bible. And some of them are pretty obvious. Some of them are not so much. So Saul, you might remember the story of Saul. Well, someone came to Saul. Remember Saul was hunting David down and they said, we know where David is. And Saul said to himself, he said, ah, the Lord has blessed me. He's delivering David into my hands. Well, that was not actually the Lord. That was Saul's own thoughts. They weren't true. What about a prophet? Nathan the prophet 
came to David, and David said, hey, I want to build a temple for the Lord. And Nathan the prophet says, ah, go, go ahead. The Lord is with you in all that you do. Well, that's a great idea, isn't it? Well, God said, you know what? David is not the one to build a temple. It's going to be his son. David shed a lot of blood. And I don't understand all the reasonings, but what I do understand after so many of these instances in the Bible that you can't trust your own thoughts for right and wrong. You have to go to the word. And you can't trust necessarily the teachings of anybody speaking to you. Go to the word that will tell you. People went into idolatry because they stopped trusting the word of God. They started going based off of the feelings. They said, oh, that looks beautiful. Let's worship that. Well, the word of God says that can't speak. It can't think. It can't hear. Why are you going to worship that thing? You put part of it in the fire and then you go down and pray to it. Does it make sense? God's word illuminates these things. And he's wanting to guard us from making all these silly little mistakes. All right, the next one. And this is verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So now we have on your feet the gospel of peace. Well, where is the gospel found? Mark 1 verse 1 says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, I praise the Lord that we have the gospel that Jesus Christ is out there to save us. That is good news. And there's actually four gospels, praise the Lord, that we can go and we can find out that there is someone looking out for us who wants to save us. It tells us where we came from. There's a genealogy. It says we are, uh, Adam was the son of God. You are a child of God. That's good news. And he came and he died for you to save you. Devil doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to pick up your Bible. He doesn't want you to have hope or courage. And he doesn't want you to share that with other people. Well, that comes from the word. So pick up the word. Why is this important? One day, very soon, and we don't know how soon, the wicked are going to turn from the brightness of the Lord, and they're going to say to the mountains, fall on us. And they're going to turn, and they're going to run. Revelation 16, uh, 6.16 says, And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus Christ doesn't want us to have to go through that. John 10.10 says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We have a lot of weary souls out there perishing for lack of knowledge. But the Bible tells us this knowledge. So you have the belt of truth comes from the word. Uh, righteousness comes from the word. The gospel of peace comes from the word. Are you noticing a pattern here? for spiritual armor. Yes, there is more than just the Bible, but there is a serious pattern that we should pay attention to. So let's keep going. Let's see if this pattern continues. Verse 16 in Ephesians 6. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So the question remains, where does faith come from? Let's go to the Bible for our answers. Revelation 10, verse 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith is rooted in the word of God. So you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were facing the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar said, heat that thing up 
seven times harder. He was angry. Why? Because they said, we are not. He said, no God can save you from me. And they said, wait a second. No, our God can save us from you. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. Why did they have such strong faith that God could save them from the fire? Well, these guys were students of the scriptures. They knew it was wrong to bow down to idols. They must have studied. They were with Daniel. They knew that it was wrong to eat the bad food. Um, they were there when Daniel prayed and they prayed together. God answered their prayers. They could think back on those things and they could have faith that God could save them then. And as you read his word, it will increase your faith that any trial you're going through and any trouble that you have, God loves you and he can save you. Whether or not he does save you, he still has eternal life for you if you accept him as your savior. Now, if anyone is weak in faith right now, I read you some promises earlier. Let me just read you a few more because some of these might apply to you, especially if you're in college. College students have tremendous stress and you might, not, you might feel alone. You might feel troubled. You might feel like there's no one looking out for you. You might feel like studying's too hard. You might think nobody knows. Well, God knows. I want to read you a couple things. You might be despaired and think, well, I've made too many mistakes. Well, let's see what God says in his word. I want to encourage you right now. Please listen carefully as if this is written to you. If you are tempted, saying to yourself, I'm a sinner, I've sinned. God doesn't care if I live. Ezekiel 33.11 says, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? If you have this thought that says, I made a mistake, I made a mistake. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we have this thought coming into our mind that says, God's keeping track. Um, my sins are stuck to me. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. There's another verse that says, God throws our sins behind his back. They are trash to God. He loves you. If you think God's love is running out for me, Psalm 103 verse 11 says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. If you think God won't be patient with me, Jeremiah 7 25 says, Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt, unto this day I have even sent you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early in sending them. God is sending this message for you. If you think the trials are too hard, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. If you think to yourself, God doesn't know what it's like, Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. 
If you got any of those thoughts running through your head, God has a promise for you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to give up. He wants you to come for him for grace, for strength, for power, and for forgiveness. All these beautiful things and these promises are waiting for you in his word. All right, what's the next one? The shield of faith comes from hearing the word. What about this? Verse 17, Ephesians 6, 17. The next piece of armor says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, where can this knowledge of salvation come from? Let's go back to the word. 2 Timothy 3.15. 2 Timothy 3.15. It says, and that from a child, this is to Timothy, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The scriptures will make you wise unto salvation. The scriptures are going to save you a lot of things. I, tr- I wonder about my relationship. Would my relationship still exist if I hadn't read the Bible and learned that in the book of Proverbs and other places, the Bible says words can hurt people like clubs and spears and swords. And so realizing the words coming out of my mouth to my friends, to those close to me, maybe weren't so good for them and maybe wasn't helping my relationships. God's word can save your life. He can save your relationships. He can save your finances. He can save your health. And it's interesting. We often take you know, things for granted like, hmm, is there a lot of good stuff in the Bible? We don't understand everything God tells us to do in but it doesn't mean it's not good for us. So let me just give you one interesting example. Now, this is coming out at Loma Linda. Okay, that's where our, our message is being shared. So this is a challenge to someone to do some research for me. Um, there are, we're talking about spiritual antioxidants. Well, there's a special antioxidant in the olive and in the olive leaf that is one of the most potent antioxidants that there is. One of them in particular is very good for your mind. And these antioxidants, uh, specific ones, are one of only few that are known to cross the blood-brain barrier. Now, the Bible actually has some recipes for healing. One of those is if you're sick, you call the elders and you get anointed. And they put the olive oil on your head. And I don't think that they just put a little dab on it. Because if you read about the anointings in the Bible... They put stuff on the priest's heads and they were flowing down their beard and their, and their, their robes. And I just think to myself and I wonder, when you're anointing someone with that olive oil, do those antioxidants, and it can get absorbed through the skin, do they make it into the bloodstream, into the mind, and do they do some special healing? You might not understand why God asked you to do something. And olive oil was typically used to soothe and mollify wounds in Bible times. And it is good for wounds. It has healing properties in it. Just because God says anoint somebody, you might think, well, okay, anoint someone is no good to that. Well, God might have some special properties. So someone out there do some research for me and find out how far do those antioxidants go if you're getting anointed with olive oil. I just find that very interesting. All right. So Again, that you know, I don't know if that's exactly what's happening or not, but wouldn't that be awesome? And there are plenty of good things in the Bible that God tells you that we do understand now. 
But that's just one that I found very, very interesting. One of the only antioxidants that passes the blood-brain barrier. Okay, let's keep going. Finally, the sword of the spirit. This is Ephesians 6, verse 17, the last part. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the only offensive weapon on the list. The rest are defensive. And that is how the, Jesus made the devil flee. And remember, so you might be thinking to yourself, well, okay, how does this work? Well, let me just remind you for a second what the kings were supposed to do, all right? The Israelite kings, and this did not go well for Israel when the kings did not do this. So let's go to the book of Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 to 20. What were the kings supposed to do with the word of God? And it shall be, Deuteronomy 17, verse 18, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law. He's supposed to write a copy. In a book, out of that which is before the priests, the Levites, verse 19, in it shall be with him. So, supposed to be with him, maybe all the time. And he shall read therein all the days of his life. How many days? All the days. All the days of his life, keep going, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law. And these statutes to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, to the end, to the end, this is to the purpose, that he may prolong his days in the kingdom. He and his children in the midst of Israel. So they were supposed to read the Bible to prolong their days. Now, the kings were not doing this. You might remember the story of Josiah. I think this happened twice in the, uh, I don't know, it happened more than once, but Josiah's there. The people are cleaning out the temple and someone finds the book of the law and they read it and they start tearing robes because they realize, oh no, look at this things we're not doing. And so they take it. There's more robe tearing. There's repentance. There's all this trouble. They were in a muddy mess because they weren't reading the word. They didn't realize the traps that they were in because they weren't reading the world. It, the word, we don't realize the traps that we are in because we are not reading the word. The Bible says spiritual things are spiritually discerned. A lot of people are groping around in the world, bumping into the walls of life, trials, tribulations, sometimes caused by themselves, sometimes caused by others, but there's spiritual things out there that could have saved the trials and tribulations. Not all of them, but a lot of them, a lot of things we bring on ourselves because we choose to walk in the path we shouldn't walk in. Or we go to a place we shouldn't go. We watch something we shouldn't watch. We have a relationship with somebody we shouldn't have a relationship with. And God wants us to avoid all these trials and tribulations. He's got good news for us in his word. He says, this is the path of life. He wants us to have the abundant life. And he wanted that for Joshua. Now think for a moment, Joshua, he's about to cross the river and take over the promised land. Full of enemies, giants, everyone's there. It's not looking pretty if you were Joshua and you needed, had it a time to doubt it would be crossing the river where everyone was against you. 
And God comes to Joshua and he tells him this, Joshua 1.9, he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Nobody could stand up against Joshua. That's one of the promises he gave him. So every piece of the armor of God, from the beginning to the end, you can find a root in the word of God. And what about verse 18, Ephesians 6, 18? We could go a little bit further because some people say, well, the, the armor of God ends with this. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Well, where do you learn to pray? Luke 11 the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him to pray. Jesus gives a recipe for prayer. It's all there. It's all in God's word. Uh, I just want to encourage you that when you start reading God's word, it's going to change you. So when I went to grad school, I started reading all sorts of different journal articles. I don't think I'd ever picked up a journal article in my life until I got to my master's program. And all of a sudden, go straight from textbooks, which are dense enough to journal articles, which are they're like rocks okay there's just there's almost three four citations to a line sometimes it's just dense you start reading all these words that you're not used to and some some of them are three in one words like uh, nevertheless and whatever and you start to learn the lingo and you start to talk that way you start to understand the theories well there's theories of life there's theories of uh spirituality that you might not understand, and you might not see how the devil's working. Maybe the devil's working through a friend. Maybe he's working through uh, the poor influences of the TV or those around you. I don't know. But you don't know that until you pick up the word, and it gives you this filter to see things properly. I want to encourage you to pick up that word. And, <laughs> you know, before Jesus came the first time, there was John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was actually eating an antioxidant. What did John the Baptist eat? It says he ate locusts and honey. Well, I believe there's some in honey, but there's also some in the type of locusts that John was eating. Now, you might be thinking, locusts, that's pretty nasty. Uh, I don't want to eat that. Well, what locust are you thinking of? Because if you're thinking he ate grasshoppers, that is pretty nasty. Although there were some that were considered clean meats, uh, I don't think that's what he was eating. There were locusts that were, there's a locust tree. And if you study the encyclopedia, you'll find that the locust tree, which had locust pods, which is what John the Baptist was eating, has a very interesting name. The name for the locust tree for locals is St. John's bread. That's where carob comes from, locusts. All right, it's the locust bean, that's carob. Carob has all sorts of good antioxidants in it. John the Baptist was detoxing before Jesus Christ came. And I think we need a spiritual detox. Daniel and his friends, they put away the rich food and they were eating vegetables and water. They were getting a spiritual detox and that allowed them to have wisdom. They were able to resist temptation and stand in trials and tribulations when the rest of the world was worshiping an idol. Now, I want to encourage you now, pick up your word this evening. Go through it, open the word, study it, 
And see if you don't start detoxing your life spiritually. I was going around the other day and I, sounds like a simple story, but I, I got some peanut butter and it was expensive. I'll just say it was $5. Came home, told my wife, she said, I just bought the same thing for $2.50 from such and such a place. And I thought to myself, well, I missed out. I missed out on, uh, I don't want to say I got ripped off, but I paid a lot more because I was unaware of something. And we can get in a lot of traps if we don't know where we're going and what's out there. Well, the Bible wants to enlighten us. Quick warning. The Bible talks about people coming around wolves in sheep's clothes. There's going to be false teachers at the end. There's going to be spiritualism, people bringing in false teachings. They're going to say, doesn't matter who you marry. They're going to say, doesn't matter which day you worship on. They're going to say all sorts of things, but the Bible has an answer for all of these things. And I would like to tell you, close with a little story. And that is a long time ago, when I was very little, my parents took me to a very, very crowded place, lots of people, and it was very busy, lots of things going on, lots of distractions. So we're walking through, we had a lot of fun, we were leaving, and I was looking at something, and I was following my parents and my other siblings, and I looked back to see where my father was, or anyone, my mother, anybody, and I couldn't see anyone. And if you've ever been lost in your life, it's not a good feeling, especially when you're a kid. And that was the first time I, I, I remember I didn't have a map. I didn't know the way out. All I knew was I was surrounded. And I was tiny then. All I knew was I was surrounded by a ton of people and I couldn't see where to go. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. It was not a good feeling. God doesn't want us to have that feeling. Neither did my dad. My dad noticed I was missing. He came back and I saw him peering above the crowd. I saw his head looking for me. And I want to encourage you right now that you don't have to be lost. You don't have to be in a crowd of strangers, not knowing what's going on, buffeted by the movements of everyone around you. You can pick up the word of God. It's a map for you to understand where you came from and where you're going. And I want to encourage you a very special thing. When you pick up that word and you start reading it, I hope you see the face of Jesus Christ peering through the crowd, peering out of the words, looking for you to save you, and that you can dedicate your life to him, the God who loves you and died for you. And he hasn't left you blind. He hasn't left you without a map. He's, he's given you hundreds of pages thousands of verses to help you understand the trials and tribulations in life. I'd like to close with a final verse in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. It says this, it says, now all these things happened unto them. It's talking about the Israelites. For in samples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. 
God wrote things, stories about other people to increase your faith, to encourage you in difficult times, to let you know he is there for you. He does have the grace to save you, and he can lead you to everlasting life. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love. We praise you and we thank you that you not left us orphans. You send your spirit. You also have left us this written record of where we came from. You told us about an enemy. You told us how to resist the enemy and make him flee from us. You gave us this great hope of a better life where there is no more sickness or suffering or sorrow or pain. Thank you, Lord, for the hope. Thank you for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can come to you for, for, for cleansing and grace and strength in times of trouble and weakness. Lord, I pray for those hearing this word now, this prayer, that you will guide them through your word into all truth and that you will transform them in me by the renewing of our minds. See if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting, Lord. We praise you and we thank you for your word. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.